So hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you all to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. So we have two very special guests joining us today from Honeywell UOP. We have Keith Couch, who's the Senior Director, Business Development and Integrated Projects, and Greg Funk, who's the Senior Offering Manager. Now, today we're going to be speaking to them about the industry's move to more petrochemicals production and how refiners can respond to this challenge. Now, we have a lot to talk about, so I'd like to welcome in Keith and Greg. Keith, Greg, how are y'all doing today? Doing well, sir. Hey, thanks for having us today. Yep, doing great, Lee. Thanks Excellent. for having us. Yeah, oh, anytime. Uh, and, and thank you guys for, for giving us a couple minutes here. Now, before we dive into the discussion today, uh, can you just let the audience know a little bit more about y'all's company, Honeywell UOP, and your specific roles with the company? Sure. Um, so UOP has been around since 1914. Large technology licensing firm in refining petrochemicals, gas processing, and sustainable technology solutions. And for myself, I run our business development for our licensing area and the integrated project solutions team. So the configuration and optimization, dealing with anything from the, the smallest applications of new technology or rerouting of streams and existing facilities, all the way to greenfield industrial mega complexes. Yep, and this is Greg Funk. I've been with UOP for a little over 30 years, about 20 years in R&D, so I come with that bent. But the last 10 years, I've been more in a business development role. So I work in our licensing business to try to create and develop and launch new technologies. Excellent, perfect. Well, we've got a lot to discuss uh, with you guys today. Uh, so let's just jump right into it. Um, now, with the demand for liquid fuels, so of course, gasoline, diesel, um, um, fuels like that, they're expected to peak and then decline over time. So my first question is, how do you think that your refining customers are going to respond to this? You know, the I think the fundamental answer to that is it's a it's a difference of two worlds between what we see happening in the West and what we see happening in the East. So for the established West, North America, Europe, uh, seeing a lot of pressure on refining, right? A lot of reduced demand. Uh, we've seen possibly production and demand has already peaked. As we move farther east, you know, we continue to see fuels needed for Africa. We continue to see fuels needed for India. India's refined fuel products growth is probably going to extend through 2040. We move into China, the same is true there. We move into Southeast Asia, the same is true there. So definitely a different bet between what's happening in developed regions and emerging regions. When we really look at developed regions, we've already seen a lot of rationalization and consolidation in the industry. Um, a lot of places in the US converted into terminals for renewables. Um, as we've seen consolidation in those assets, we've also seen growth in other areas. So it really is a mixed bag depending on where people are looking to invest. A lot of interest in petrochemicals and a lot of the refineries that we see in the East, they're investing in refined fuels production to offset import uh, demand. And they're investing into petrochemicals for a higher quality of debt service. So we see a lot of opportunities to move into petrochemicals uh, that have been different than in the past. Excellent. So uh, jumping into my next question, I'm glad you mentioned petrochemicals because it's a great segue into kind of where I want to talk uh, about next. So I, I guess in your point of view, how difficult is it for a refiner to increase 
their production of petrochemicals. And as a follow-up to that one, are there ways to more efficiently make that transition? Uh, yes, absolutely. When we talk about petrochemicals, um, a lot of people can get buried in the derivatives. And we see a lot of people get bogged down trying to figure out what derivatives they should be in. But fundamentally, when we talk about petrochemicals, you have five major building blocks, ethylene, propylene, benzene, toluene, and xylene. As you move and transition into those five fundamentals, you're, gonna, you're going to pick effectively the types of markets that you're interested in. It's really hard for a refiner to get into the ethylene business without building a steam cracker. Propylene, much easier molecule for a refinery, traditional refiner to get into. And we see that application a lot through FCC technology. When we start getting into benzene, toluene, xylene, now we're talking about retasking things that used to be in the gasoline and diesel pool. And fundamentally, we have to figure out what products a refiner wants to get out of what are they willing to sacrifice as a feedstock to get into petrochemicals? That's often a very difficult conversation for a lot of refiners to move through. Excellent. And now, moving on to that, can you tell me a little bit more about Honeywell UOP's integrated olefin suite? I mean, with the listeners that might not be, uh, who might not know much about it, can you talk a little bit about what it is and the impact that it can have? Yeah, let me let me go ahead and jump into the conversation here. Um, we really developed the integrated olefin suite to more efficiently integrate the process technologies back into the refinery to provide the intermediates and then to integrate the various uh, petrochemicals to build the building blocks that Keith mentioned. And so the integrated olefin suite is is actually a collection of technologies. It's not a single technology, but rather you can think of it as a toolbox that can solve various problems. And we can break the integrated olefin suite into three main areas that we focus on to complete this optimization. The first area focuses on taking the various molecules that are a part of crude or that are part of a refinery and use our technology to take and convert those into better feeds into the main processes that are used to produce petrochemicals. As Keith mentioned, the steam cracking unit being one to produce ethylene, also propylene if it's a liquid uh, fed cracker. Another key workhorse is uh, catalytic reforming, or we would call it platforming, uh, which is used to take naphtha and make aromatics. And what you find is feed quality to these process units have a big impact on the overall performance, both in terms of economics and in terms of utility efficiency and sustainability. So feed optimization is the first area. The second is using the right process conversion units for the right feed molecules. If you take a steam cracker, for example, um, a preferred feedstock in general are normal paraffins versus branch paraffins and naphthenes or aromatics. But if we look in even further, in the case of propane, it's much more efficient to process propane into a propane dehydrogenation unit. 
So if the customer's objectives are to make a mix of ethylene and propylene, a good way to make the, the propylene is in the PDH rather than in the steam cracker. And then the third area is the byproduct. So when one is running a liquid-fed cracker, uh, the yield of ethylene is only approximately 35%. That means that feedstock you're using is going to make 65% of other things, some of which may not be strategic to a given customer. And so what we do by optimizing the feed, first of all, and by using the PDH unit, we increase the yield of the target ethylene and propylene and reduce those byproducts. But within this integrated olefin suite, we have a collection of technologies that can be used to either increase desired byproducts or reduce or even eliminate the undesired byproducts. So it's a very flexible toolkit of technologies um, that can be deployed. Uh, no single customer is going to use all 12, but they're available to meet various objectives depending on the customer's needs. No, that's really interesting. And, and then that kind of gets me thinking, I mean, what kind of impact uh, would the Olfen Suite have on, say, like a crude to chemicals complex, mm. which we're hearing a lot more of now? Yeah, that, that that's a great question. And uh, probably the best way to answer that question is to choose a specific example. Um, we're working with several customers, so I'll just pick one of them. And uh, what I'll talk about, not just crude to chemicals, but let me focus even more. This particular example I have in mind, the, the customer wants to take crude and convert to light olefins. They don't have plans now to be in the refining business, and they so they don't want to make fuels. They also don't want to move into the aromatics chain, so they don't want to make benzene, toluene, and xylene. They, they want to take crude and maximize the yield of light olefins. So if one takes a conventional approach to upgrade the bottom fractions of the crude and to maybe hydrocrack those to get more hydrogen to be so that uh, intermediate can be fed into a steam cracker, um, what we estimate is that the carbon efficiency from the crude to the target olefins, the ethylene and propylene, is only a little over 50%. So what, we're what we've developed and proposed is to use our feed optimization technology, uh, which is a technology called Maxine, which separates normal paraffins so the normal paraffins can go to the steam cracker, and couple that with Isoflex, um, which takes the, the non-normals, the branch paraffins, naphthenes, and aromatics, and leverages our paraffin isomerization technology to make normal paraffins, again, which can be separated by Maxine. So the net result is a feed to the cracker that's about 90% normal paraffins, which has a tremendous boost in the yield of ethylene. We also make some propane that goes off into the PDH unit, and then we can actually take and saturate the C4s and the, the pie gas, which contains the benzene, toluene, xylene, which this customer doesn't want to make. So those can be recycled and instead make more ethylene and propylene. And the net result is that the carbon efficiency increases from around that 50% mark to over 75%. So it's a huge increase in the value slate of the, the product. Um, in addition, there's there's really not a tremendous increase in the capex. So the um, 
IRR of this project was boosted by about three to four percent, which took it from being potentially not bankable for this customer into a range that became very investable. So it can have a, a huge impact. No, yeah, that's 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 a great case study. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. And and I want to go back to something, of course, that's very important nowadays within the hydrocarbon processing industry, and that's something you mentioned on carbon efficiency. So you mentioned there with that large improvement in carbon efficiency. I'm kind of curious though, is there any impact on sustainability? Absolutely, Lee. The um, one of the biggest drivers that we see in the ESG world is really tuning in on a on the quantification of the amount of CO2, the carbon footprint associated per ton of product, in this case, per ton of light olefin, per ton of uh, aromatic, and what's the CO2 footprint per dollar invested is becoming very important for financing firms. Almost every project that we, we see coming in, the refiners understand the CO2 per ton of product the financiers are driving the CO2 per dollar invested. So we have to be able to speak to both of those areas. When we do things right, when we get the efficient application of the right molecules to the right process units in the most efficient manner, it's redefining how we think through the processes. It's redefining how we think of not only just taking the different isomers that Greg talked about, but different species and really truly understanding where we, how can we get to the end product of the highest value with the least amount of work, the least amount of capital, and the least amount of operating expense um, to achieve each ton. When we look at putting the right molecules in the right place, we, we think of things like stop processing C6s in a refarming unit. There's better, more efficient things to do with them. Stop trying to put propane into a steam cracker. It's the least efficient molecule that you can put into a steam cracker. You put it into a dehydro unit. Don't try to thermally convert what's best done in a catalytic process. And, and historically, the same has been true in the opposite for things like a C5. Oh, we don't have a lot of things catalytically to do with a C5 historically. They're really efficiently converted in a steam cracker. That's where their current home is. Now we're working on opportunities to change that. Um, that's still in our future. No, excellent. And then I guess one of my my last two questions here, I guess the first one, uh, and Greg, you touched on this uh, with the case study that you mentioned with a customer. Um, do you have any more customer references um, if, say, someone is interested? Uh, is that something that y'all can provide? Yeah, absolutely, Lee. Uh, that's that's a great question because uh, these complexes, um, especially when they involve a steam cracker and these other process units, can be multi-billion-dollar investments. And it's important that the customer has confidence. And one of the nice things about the integrated olefin suite in the first generation is these are all technologies that have been commercially proven. Often they've been proven in a slightly different context, but using basically the same feeds and same chemistry, same catalysts and so on. So Maxine I mentioned earlier, for example, is a type of UOP's Molex process. Um, that 
a technology that's been used for over 50 years in the industry to separate normal paraffins. Um, we have kerosene molex as part of our uh, biodegradable detergents technology, and it separates normal paraffins from kerosene range, as the name would imply. We also have gasoline molex units out there running. So in total, um, we have over 30 molex units and we have uh, a Maxine unit running currently in China. Isoflex is a derivative of our paraffin isomerization technology of which we've licensed nearly 500 units. The difference here is normally we run paraffin isomerization units to take normal paraffins to make isoparaffins because of their high octane blending properties. In this case, we take this chem the chem same chemistry, which is reversible, and instead of making isoparaffins, we take the isoparaffins, naphthenes, and even the aromatics and make normal paraffins because that's the superior feedstock to put into a steam cracker. In the case of uh, propane dehydrogenation, we're getting close to 100 units that have been licensed. So <clears throat> it's uh, all of these uh, technologies in our first generation are um, have been commercially proven and uh, that customers can have high confidence uh, that they're going to run. Uh, of course, we're always inventing, so we'll have to have another conversation about what's new. You know, Lee, one of the things I really like about that question is a lot of customers historically have wanted to be the first to be the fifth user. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I get it. it. It's a risk profile that has served the refining industry quite, quite well. The problem with that carrying forward is technology is developing faster and faster every day. Shareholders are demanding that ESG focus, and we, we talk about net zero by year 20X. And a lot of people are saying 2030, 2040, 2045. Whatever that year is, backtrack instead of years, think about turnaround cycles. And suddenly you realize, I can't wait to be the fifth user of latest tech and have any hope or prayer of being able to make the deadline dates that I've established. We have to, as an industry, not be careless or reckless, but we're going to have to change our risk profile on how we evaluate technologies and how we consider them. We talked about propane dehydro. Awesome, awesome application. Sometimes I have a hard time talking with somebody who wants to see commercial references of PDH units integrated inside of a refinery. There's only one of those in the world right now that's operating. Most of the others are buying somebody else's propane. So we get into a conversation of give me a commercial reference. I want to see five, five applications. I can't do that. So my Part of my argument to that is, um, if you want me to build a storage tank and take somebody else's chemical grade propylene, propane stream, if you want me to take somebody else's chemical grade propane stream, I'll do that, put it in my tank and sell it back to you. And, and I can give you dozens of references such as that. So does that make sense? No, we have to think smarter about what we're doing. We have to think smarter about our integrations. Um, coupling those petrochemical process units closer to the refiner makes a lot of sense. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I guess really one of my last questions is, 
You know, if if you do have a customer that's listening to this uh, or a potential customer that's interested uh, in, in looking at these technologies, especially integrated OLF and Suite, I mean, where's the best, what's the best way for them to take the next step? Well, I can certainly talk to their sales account representative or their regional services representative, or they can call me or Greg directly. Um, fundamentally, we would engage with the concept development workshop. That concept development workshop is, is something that we do at the refiner's site, at the petrochemical producer site, and talk through your needs and wants. What's your budget? Right? Greg and I might want to take things all the way to the most extravagant petrochemical solution. You may not be able to pay for it. You may not want to pay for that. Right. So it's about managing expectations and getting each customer the best path forward on how they want to run their business. That's part of the alignment. We do a great job at this because we've married our kinetic models and our process models to our LP models. What we've seen as a transition of technology over the last three years across COVID has completely changed the way we think about molecule management. This isn't something that you're going to see an abundance of in the industry yet. All right. So it really does take a specialty analyst to be able to go through. Now, I, I don't need to be engaged when you're trying to figure out fundamental which petrochemical markets you want to be in. Our job really comes in and helping you achieve your visions and your goals most efficiently. Do you yeah. have anything else, Greg? Uh, yeah, I'd like to maybe just jump in here and just add a little bit more. Um, I'd like to emphasize that uh, the integrated olefin suite is, is not just about grassroots units, not just about crude to chemicals. And the work process Keith just described and the technologies we're talking about here can be applied in retrofit situations as well. And uh, the same process we go through with the configuration development workshop, using our toolkit and models to, to help uh, customers figure out how to better operate existing units is, is also part of the scope. So I thought that was an important point to add at the end. No, absolutely. That that that's great stuff. Well, listen, Keith, Greg, we really can't thank you both enough for your time today to discuss these major trends that are happening within our industry. Uh, I think I could probably talk to y'all for a couple hours, <laughs> but I know you don't have that kind of time. But I really, really want to thank both of you, both of you, uh, for joining us for a couple minutes today uh, uh, on the Main Column podcast. So, so thank you all very much for that. And then, I mean, lastly, just really want to thank all of you for listening to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. Thanks for listening.